Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. So these are kind of different days. Uh, uh, we're not like sports teams that lose, lose uh, players at certain times because of COVID pre- protocol, but we are affected by such things. So we've got worship team sliding around. Thank you, Lance, for leading the team. Uh, and, and if you, I said this to the few of you that were here during announcements, that um, if you look online, you'll see that at the Sawyer campus, we had a youth worship team for the first time leading today, which is kind of fun. Yeah, it's fun. So, uh, yes, last week, <clears throat> uh, so I, I want to count, I'm, I'm looking for small victories, small surprises, many things to thank God for. In my pocket is Fisherman's Friend. How many are familiar with Fisherman's Friend? You are? I was not, I, I've seen the commercials, you know, it's like out in Maine or something like that. I just, I love Maine, but I, I don't like the commercials, it's too cold. And, um... Last week, Bill Conway knew that I needed some help, and so he handed me a packet. I have now ordered a case of these babies. So they are, they are helpful to my... Some, some cough drops aren't good for me, so those were good. I, I count small blessings along the way. So my wife is still sick, so tested positive again on Friday. So this is, like, this is officially now long COVID number two. Just pray for her. This is uh, fatigue, and then it gets discouraging over some time. So a lot of you have asked that, but I don't mind saying it right here. She's probably watching uh, this one. She watches both of them, but um, yeah, just these kind of days, we're just taking everything we can. We're looking for what good we have. We see God, um, you know, Eileen's making progress. Bob Heiser, a little bit of progress along the way. There's a lot of people we're praying for. Um, praying for Barb Bettig, who's She's in this last lap. We don't know how big it is, but man, her faith and heart is on the Lord. Just strong. And I appreciated uh, one of our times last week when we were praying in the 21 days. I, I forget which one of you, just the, the way we were praying for her. Um, it might have been your sister. It might have been Jordan. Just It was um, the effect of Barb on us and her faith. So those are, those are things of what it means to be part of a church. Uh, this particular church that God's raised up in the city, you know, we're nothing flashy. And we don't need to be. There's some things that, that really matter to us. And it is Jesus first. And it is his word. And we don't pretend to think that we get that all 100% right. And it's the body of Christ. We need each other. We need the help and encouragement from one another. But it comes through his word. It really does. Um, our habit, as you know, it's uh, we tend to take a book of the Bible and preach through it. So we're doing a di- we're doing Galatians today. Uh, so when we do that, that first sermon tends to be an introduction, <clears throat> and really have one goal today. I want to whet your appetite. It's only six chapters, slow reader, twenty minutes maybe to read through it. Uh, so it's not long, but we're going to be going through this, and there's some reasons. I'm going to talk about some of the reasons for it, and this year different than other years, we're going to have two preachers each week, one in Sawyer, one in New Buffalo. So we're, we've been tipping the scale that way more often. Uh, sometimes we'll have one guy do both, which has mostly been me, but we're going to do it that way. Um, and some of you have done this. I remember Jeff Baker telling me this. Uh, I'd come in on, uh, I'd come into service here. He'd already watched the 10 o'clock service, you know, and then, and then he's here at present, this one. So you can, I mean, feel free to do that. You know, there's, there's just a good enjoyment around God's word. And that. So uh, here's the title. Um, <clears throat> the call of Galatians is return to the gospel so you can walk in the freedom of the Spirit. And that last phrase, return to the gospel so you can walk in the freedom of the Spirit, is as the pastors work through this book, that's our sense of what's the main theme or the main call here. So let me talk a little bit about the why. Um, well, one is we wanted to switch to New Testament book. Last year we did Proverbs and Daniel, both very interesting in terms of what types of literature there are, very different. We did Peter the year before that. 
but we tend to mix it up. Um, I want you to get used to different parts of the Bible, but really we want to preach in a way that encourages you in the reading of it. You know the old phrase, it's uh, better to teach a guy to fish than to hand him a fish. That's really what that is. You, your, your growth and feeding in God's word will come as you read it yourself. And so we're trying to preach that way to encourage you in that. Again, um, <clears throat> in, in this next half hour or so, I speak, you're listening. You don't get asked questions. Though, though occasionally someone does, I should say. Um, the, the class before this tends to be more that way. But when you're reading, there's a way of interacting with it more yourself. And, and we, we think, it's our commitment in this, so you might call this expositional preaching. You take a book of the Bible, it's like long-term growth incrementally over time. It's you come and go like, man, I understand that book. I understand what's going on there. And it feeds our soul versus um, going just, I, I could just cherry pick passages that I want to pick. The danger is you're depending on me to cherry pick passages. The temptation is though, I think, I want to say what's really relevant to, to these people. What's me determining that? And our belief is this, God's word feeds our souls. And actually, I don't know what you need except for him and his word. And so this kind of time here, it's more like long-term, eating good, healthy diet over the long term in your life. And so in the end, you come up, there's a spiritual health that takes place. That's just our conviction in, in how we do things. Other people do it other ways. I'm just describing, that's us. So we're going to go through Galatians. So let me ask you this question. Oh, I should say this too. <clears throat> While we do a book sequentially, it's a little different than just verse by verse preaching. So what we want to do, and particularly say, we want to see the whole big picture. What's the context? What's being said? Because if you ever follow something, I just follow a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, and I think they're talking about this, and I, I miss it. By the end, I go like, oh, that's what they're talking about. So we're trying to do kind of the, the big picture to really set the table for you in, in, in reading that. We did that a little bit at the, the 10 o'clock hour in the class. All right, so think about this. Why does Galatians matter to your life? Now, I don't know how many of you have read it or even knew it was coming, but we try to put stuff out there, and I, I miss all kinds of stuff we put out there, so I don't expect you to necessarily have thought through that. But let me ask the question a different way. <clears throat> How well do you think you understand the gospel? Well, some of us might say, I think I understand it pretty well. <clears throat> some of us might say, hmm, I uh, guess that would mean, what do you mean by the gospel? Which is a good question. <laughs> what is the gospel? Which actually this book gets at. <clears throat> Let me ask the question a different way. In what ways does the gospel affect your life? So again, when I'm using the term gospel, I mean something by that. Um, it's in a sense shorthand as a word for a whole message that Paul makes very clear, the New Testament makes very clear. But I'm just, we're just, we actually debated what term to use, and we're just using the term gospel. In what ways does the gospel affect your life? In what ways does the gospel affect your speech? In what ways does the gospel affect your outlook? In what ways does the gospel affect your view of other people? In what ways does the gospel affect your view of yourself? How much does the gospel affect your minute-by-minute -minute day? I don't think most of us, I don't think we think that way. This book goes that way by the later chapters. Let me ask it a different way. <clears throat> if your understanding of the gospel deepened, what might change in your life? I think there's things that would, would change. See, there's, there's, a, there's a great danger for us thinking we know more than we know. Uh, that's called, what's that called? Ass <laughs> it's called assuming. Uh, we know what that word means. It's, it, it's assuming. Uh, and when you assume things, you just don't pay very much attention. So I've told this story before. It happened 18 months ago. We were on vacation with a good portion of my family. Um, <clears throat> this is the time I made some assumptions. Uh, one of my favorite things, I just come alive when we go outdoors. And if we're not going far away in a big adventure, I love North Michigan. Uh, one of our favorite sweet spots is the Sleeping Bear Dunes area. 
uh, one of our favorite kayaking spots. I have kayaks that I would loan out to you anytime you want. Um, favorite is, uh, is the Platte River. <clears throat> the Platte River, is, has anybody been in the Platte River? You've, okay. All right, Platte River is great. So the Platte River has a lower part. The lower Platte is kind of this float trip. There's an outfitter there. You can spend obscene money to buy a tube or whatever you float down. the. Down the and you, but you get at the end of it, and it's this big, huge beach, and here's all the bluffs, and you just hang out all day. That's great. Well, there's an upper Platte River that just moves. In fact, I took my brother there last spring. He dumped his kayak like just like that, and then he was scared the whole time. I, went, I, I, didn't, it, it, I mean, it's going fast, and I forgot that he, he's not an um, avid kayaker. You don't have to be an avid kayaker, but you've got to pay attention on the upper plat because as soon as you get in, there's a curve, and there's branches down, and like, if you're not looking, if you like look at a friend, it hits you, and you're over, and, and just like that happened to him, and he was freaked out the rest of the two hours. So we love, we, we love the upper plat because it just moves, it's going down, and then you hit in between the upper and the lower, there's Platte Lake. Platte Lake's a beautiful three-mile lake that just stinks to kayak across. It's just a lake. I like, I like the river and all that, but it's a necessary, if you're going to do the whole thing, make a five-hour day out of it, just hang out at the end, you know, it, you got to do the, do the lake. So... <clears throat> Talk to my, uh, to our little cohort here. It's Caleb and Amanda. No kids with them. It's Elisha and Jordan. They're young married. It's Hannah who's single. Cindy and me. <clears throat> We're going to do the whole thing. Do you, you want to do the, the, just the float trip? Oh, no. We want to do the whole thing. Okay. Look at the weather. Weather's good. Because it really stinks to get on that lake in the afternoon when the wind, wind comes up. I look. Weather's good. We're... When I go with these guys, this is not an early group. We don't get out early in the morning, so we went on about an hour later than I wanted to. You drop a car at one end, and you get a car at this end. So we get in. We had a blast. Coming down. Oh, yeah. With that many people, somebody will always run into somebody else on a curve, and you tip them, and you got to help each other. So we had fun just helping each other. <clears throat> and then we get to the lake. So now you've come out of the woods, and, man, those clouds are pretty dark. That wasn't in the forecast. Ah, no big deal. It's three miles. You just got to, well, how do you want to do it? You know, the straight, <clears throat> the shortest way is right through the middle, right? Go straight across the lake. It's also the deepest part. The deepest part, it's also the windiest part. Now, you can go out along the shore and do all that. It takes longer, but let's just, let's just get through it. So Elisha and Jordan have this kayak that's a sit on top. They're doing fine. Caleb, Amanda, Hannah, Cindy, me, <clears throat> we've got regular, um, Lake, what do you call them? Sit-in kayaks, which means water can come in. If you can sit in it, water can come in it. And as we started, ah, it's, not, it's not just dark clouds, it's windy. And there's like white things on the water. White caps. Ah! It wasn't in the forecast. We can, let's just, we're paddling across. I'm not kidding. So we got half a mile in. I'm like, oh, this is when kayaking becomes work and not fun. So Cindy's in the front. Oh, can you imagine, imagine doing this with your spouse and the great conversations you'd be having along the way. It was, it was a blast. So <clears throat> giving instructions at this point, it may seem urgent. It's often not helpful, but instructions are given along the way. So we're, we're, we're going along. I pretty soon hear an argument. No, Kate, uh, Elisha and Jordan, they're fine. They're sit on top. They're, they're cruising along. I mean, they're like a dot after a little while, you know, and the rest of us are just like, I'm, I am bailing as, as much as I'm paddling. It's like, this is not much fun. I'm like trying to paddle along and bail. I'm not sure how much I'm bailing so she didn't freak out. But you know, when you're bailing, that means there's water in the kayak, which means what else? You were wet. I don't care about being wet. Worse than that. It's heavier. And if it's heavier, how fast are you going? You're going slower. Take my word about assumption. Remember this now, okay? So pretty soon I see Caleb and Amanda kind of peeling off to the right, you know. <clears throat> They're peeling off, and I can hear the discussion. We'll call it a discussion. We, I can hear the back and forth, but one's... <laughs> I just remember this. Caleb finally jumps out. He's, on the, he's just pulling the kayak. You know, he's I'm trying, he's on, on the shallows, and she... <laughs> it, we really do laugh about this. This, this made... Uh, this made Dryden legendary lore in the camping stories. Um, Cindy and I are going slow, partly purposefully, but 
Hannah's got all the confidence in the world, but she's by herself. I'm like, I'm not leaving her. Because we can, so we're going along with her. And Elisha and George, they're gone. I mean, they are gone. And we think we know where we're going in the end. It's this big lake. <clears throat> so as it turns out, Caleb and Amanda save our goose by getting out, deciding to go and knock on some door or something. They, they get somebody. I'm trying, like, who, do I stay with them? Or who, who do I stay with here? I'm trying to figure out what to do. We get hand along safely. I'll skip in between parts of the story. But God was really gracious to us. And we bailed. And we could have sunk in the middle of the lake. When we get at the end and I dumped that kayak out, it was, I could hardly pick the thing up. It was 100 plus pounds of water. As I've been bailing all this time, had we kept going? Yeah, we've been swimming pretty, pretty soon. We laugh about it now. God sent someone to come and have mercy on us and pick us up in their pickup truck and pick everything up and a guy come out and give us hot chocolate and, and all this. But, bad assumption. Could have been worse. Sometimes we think we know things we don't know <clears throat> and we assume we know them. So I tell that story. It's, it's not a... Um, it's not a dangerous story, but it's wrong. Here's, um, here's the title again. The call of Galatians is to return to the gospel so you can walk in the freedom of the Spirit. See that word return? They'd gotten away. They drifted. There's some assumptions that they had made along the way, and they were way off course, and it was dangerous. So again, today, what I hope to do is to really just kind of whet your appetite for this book. <clears throat> but I want to describe this first part as it's important for us. It's important for us to not assume we know all that the gospel is or the implications in our life. And if we go through this book thinking and listening and asking the Holy Spirit to work, I think he'll show us all things about ourselves. And that's what I want for me. So Todd's going to come up and uh, read the first seven verses, the introduction to this book, and then we'll continue on. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this book, would it be that you open our hearts to it, each one of us? <clears throat> and Lord, myself included in this, there are things about me that I don't see clearly. I know there's work the Holy Spirit still wants to do in my life, in our lives, and so we pray for that. We pray that our understanding of the gospel of grace would be deeper and richer and would have the implications of real, real free living in us, of freedom in Christ. So let it be so, O oh God, in these, these Sundays and these weeks we spend together. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to walk through this in the big picture, a little bit from some of this uh, here. Um, a lot of times what we do when we're reading a book, we look for the tone of the book. And I don't know if you, did you catch that in the last couple of verses that Todd read? He said, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm astonished that you are quickly, so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What kind of tone is that? It's pretty urgent, isn't it? 
There, there's something going on here that Paul's addressing. So when you look at the beginning and the end, uh, you'll see an urgency in the tone. Now, often when you read a letter of Paul, he'll, t- he'll talk uh, very affectionately about them, calling them brothers and sisters and talk about his heart towards them. There's none of that in this beginning. Now, I think it's later, like in chapter four, but what you have here is an urgency from beginning to end. But let me say the, this, it is an urgency that comes from love. It really is. But we should, we should see that. It's almost like what Paul's doing. <clears throat> uh, let's say you're driving, like there's this familiar road. You're driving down the road. And again, that's where assumptions happen, right? Here's the road. I know where I'm going. And what Paul's done, he sees there's a bridge out. This is dangerous. And he's jumped out of his, he's put rumble strips out. He's got flashing lights. He's running up the road with the flag saying, hang on. <clears throat> This is dangerous. That direction you're going, it, you're, you're, you're distorting the gospel. In fact, what you're hearing and believing, it's not even the gospel, which has got huge stakes for them. <clears throat> the tone is warning. Let me say this. Is it loving? It still is. Just like a parent to a child, man. You, sometimes you come and you, if your kid's in danger, you're going to say something quick. You're not going, hey, I love you, little buddy. Get out of the road. You're like, you're, get out of the road. <laughs> Because you love them. And, that, and that's, that's the sense of this in Paul. Where we don't see, really it's not until chapter 4, we see more of the affection. But there's an urgency in this. And there's a reason. It's because they could, spiritual devastation is ahead for them. An enslavement to them. And we'll describe more what that enslavement is. So, <clears throat> get to a letter. We're looking at who's writing it. To whom is it written? We see it's to the churches of Galatia. And again, when a letter of Paul would be written, they don't have it like we got it on our phones, we got it in a Bible. That's not what they got. Someone is showing up in their assembly and they're reading this out loud. So imagine that. Yeah, the church gathered and Galatia was a region. So we might say like a county, Berrien County, okay? But it's all these churches in the county. All these churches in the region of Galatia. Churches that Paul had planted on his first and second missionary journey. And, and they're reading this because it's very, there, there's an urgency to this. And what has happened is this. At this point in Christianity, there's become lots of controversy, discussions, debates, really about what is salvation. And we talked about this at the 10 o'clock hour. Do you need to first become Jewish to be a Christian? Do you, you know, the church has Jewish origin. Jesus is Jewish. Is that what you need to do? How is a relationship with God possible? How does a person become right with God? Certainly all that Old Testament stuff, I mean, it's, it's telling about the Messiah to come, that tells us of him, that's important, right? Does one need to conform to Jewish practice to become a Christian? And there's this huge movement in the early church that's teaching that. And they're going around to the very places that Paul has planted and teaching that. And Paul's saying that. It's not the gospel. It's a different gospel. But here's what the core of it is. And this would be a question that's relevant for us. I don't know how you think about God. I don't know how you think about eternity. But let me ask the question this way. What are you dependent on? So here's a question that if I'm having an average conversation with a person, whether they're churched or not churched, And if we start talking about a sense of God or eternity, let's say they have that, and I just, we talk about, you know, end of life, and what are you counting on? And some people go, oh yeah, sure. So if they're theistic, I'm going to heaven. Why are you going to heaven? You know the most common answer to that. I've been pretty good. I've been pretty good. And, and one's goodness is measured by what? You, the other guy, meaning this. I've been pretty good. How do I define good? Well, I know lots of people that are worse than me. And because I can think of a lot of, it's like God grades on a curve or something. I don't, because there's a lot of people worse than me. I read the papers. I hear stuff. There's a lot of bad people out there. I'm, I'm not like them. I'm pretty good. That, that's the average, I'd say, American mentality. Can I just say to you, that is not gospel. And that's what Paul's talking about. Because what, what these guys are advocating is that kind of goodness. 
goodness gets you into heaven. And Paul said, that is not the gospel. Goodness will not get you into heaven. Goodness will keep you from heaven because you will assume that you're in and you aren't. So he's making it really, he's running down the road, throwing down the rumble strips, flashing lights, waving, like, do not hold on to that. But throughout this book, he's going to describe what it is. But he's starting off attacking the problem. <clears throat> so in this book, you're going to see there's, there's two kinds of attacks going on um, in this church. One is about the message saying, basically, you need to be good enough for God. That is, in their, their culture, follow all these Jewish laws. Okay? God, it's Old Testament. God said it. You do that, you're in. And they would, they would read Old Testament scriptures to justify their position. Goodness gets you in. That's the false teaching. The second part of this is the messenger. They were attacking Paul. He was severely criticized. Why? Because if you can discredit the messenger, it will discredit the message. And so throughout this letter, you will see some defense, Paul, of his ministry, but of the message. The message is the gospel of grace. He's He's, he wants us to return to this. So what's going to happen as we study this book, <clears throat> there'll be a clarity to you. You will actually see if you understand the gospel or not as we read this. Because I want to say this. Am I getting ahead of my, I'm probably getting ahead of my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, so I'll probably say it twice. There's some of us that could accurately say, well, I understand that I have made right uh, between God because of what Jesus has done and faith in that. Yet, we operate that as a Christian, the way I grow as a Christian is by being good enough. It's this good enough standard. We all have it in us in some way. It, <clears throat> it's very interesting in this book how Paul digs down into that. So honestly, we might see some things that make us uncomfortable, but I think would be really good for us. Because I think all of us have religious assumptions. And what we want to do is have what we think and believe line up with what Scripture clearly teaches. I think that's part of the value of this particular book. All right, so <clears throat> again, let's go to the first couple verses. Just look at those for a second. So here's his introduction. He says this, <clears throat> Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. So a couple simple things. <coughs> uh, that last part, all the brothers who are with me. So Paul very often does ministry in a team. There's plurality, there's accountability. I think it's a good example for us. But some might go, what does he mean when he says, um, not from men nor through man? I mean, is this, is he kind of being arrogant in saying that? Like he's saying like, yeah, I got this from God. I didn't get it from men. Is that, is that arrogance? I want to say to you, it's not arrogance, it's urgency. It, let, me, let me paraphrase this. Word. Just, oh, brothers and sisters of the churches in Galatia, this is not my opinion, what I'm saying to you. It's not my personal advice. This is gospel clarity. It's from God. And God's the one who gave it to me. I didn't come up with this on my own. In fact, I wasn't even looking for it. And he'll say later, he says, I was an enemy of this message. I was a persecutor of the church. I wasn't looking for this. This is from God. That's why he's bringing it out. It's not my opinion. It's not my advice. And let me say this. In our preaching, you don't want any pastor's opinion or advice. That's what you're looking for. We're looking for God's word to speak. And Paul's saying it very clearly. Um, look at chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> he starts really with his testimony, and he says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me, it's not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember that? That's the Damascus Road. When he was on the Damascus Road, he had letters in his hand to go put Christians in jail. He's against this message. God brought it to him. God did something to him that he was not expecting. And he wants them to know that because it's not about him. It's about Jesus. That's why that's so important. All right, now I'm going to do the next thing. This one's a little bit... <clears throat> so if you want, some of you take notes. If you want them, you can write the, write the office. I'm going to kind of go, go through what I see 
um, is kind of the flow of thought through this book. And so it's kind of the big chunks, and I think you'll see where he's going. I think it'll help us in, in reading it. So we did this a little bit. We started with it in the 10 o'clock class. In his introduction, he begins this way. It's really chapter 1 through halfway through chapter 2. He's saying, making very clear, the gospel, it's from God, not from man. Man didn't come up with this, um, how do we get to God? This, this is from God. Now, he'll describe that in a whole lot of ways. So part of it's from his testimony. But he also... and. Um, Carly brought this up in her class. <clears throat> There's an interesting part about the middle part of chapter 2 where <clears throat> he's telling the story. Oh, I should say, all this right here, <clears throat> uh, Paul's very reasonable in his logic. This is narrative. He's just telling the story. He's telling the story how the gospel came to him. Then he talks about an encounter he has with Peter, um, which could be very embarrassing. It's a very interesting portion of Scripture. But what happens is um, Peter has already realized. Let me, let me back up. So in the early church, there's this part where they're going through, wait a minute, can a non-Jewish person be in with God? Do they need to become Jewish first? And they realize that's not true. Remember, uh, Peter the vision Peter has that God brings to him with these unclean animals coming down in Acts 10. So a whole bunch of things that God does to show them what he declared in, in the Great Commission, what he declared at Pentecost. The nations can come in. That's you and me if you're non-Jewish. Okay, They can come in. It's faith in Jesus. So Peter already realized that. They don't have to become Jewish. It already been determined. But Peter's now visiting Paul in the Antioch church, the Antioch church had a lot of non-Jewish people in it, really, really um, ethnically diverse. And he's there. And so remember, Jewish law would say, you can't eat with a Gentile. But in the church, we're all brothers and sisters, no big deal. So there's Peter, he's hanging out with Paul, hanging out with all these Gentiles, they're eating together. But then what happened is, some of these false teachers showed up. They were super conservative, you gotta be Jewish first people. So, they, so the, the term people use sometimes is they're Judaizers. But basically they're saying, you've got to be Jewish first, follow Jewish law. They show up. So what's Peter do? Peter understands the gospel. He doesn't compromise in his theology. He compromises it in his behavior. What does he do? It's because these guys showed up that Peter now disassociates himself from these Gentile Christians. He won't sit at the table with them. He's over here with these guys. Oh, I'm just being sensitive to them. It's a compromise. He, he's acting like the old Jewish laws. Not in his head, in his behavior. That ever happened for you? So what Paul does, he sees it. He sees other people are led astray by it. Here's Paul, bashful Paul. He just calls it right out. He just calls it right out. Peter, <laughs> hey, how come before these guys showed up from Jerusalem, you're fine eating with us all over here and these Gentiles then, but as soon as these guys show up, you want to disassociate. Peter's busted. But in his humility, there's repentance and it becomes clear because Paul brings it out. <clears throat> but what he's doing here, this is the first part. So that, that story's, I don't know, maybe it's, it's the first part of chapter two. He's showing, this gospel's from God. It's not man-made. And this is crazy. <clears throat> this is not about being good and a goodness. Goodness does not get you in. That's what he's clarifying. Salvation is a whole other thing, and it is absolutely freeing. But he tells it through the narrative, how he came to faith, and about a time when Peter is distracted. He's distracted in his behavior, not his mind. And I, just, I, I bring that story up, because you'll read it when we get there. That's important for us to see, because a lot of us would say we believe the right things, but our actions are often not consistent. It actually should be encouraging to us that Peter messed it up. And this is one reason why I think the Bible's true, by the way. The Bible's heroes have great downfalls. And if you wanted, to, you, would, you would clean that part up. You'd edit that part out of history if you wanted to otherwise. Now, I, the gospel of grace lets us know that all our heroes are as messed up as we are. So I love that stories like this are in it. 
Okay, right after this section, the next part <clears throat> is really defining the gospel, which that section talks about, uses the word justification by faith alone. Now, that may seem like a big word, justification. How one is made right with God. That's what it is. How is a person made right with God? And that's a, it's, a, it's a shorter section, but it's really clear. It's by faith. I should say this. It's faith in Christ alone. And he draws a big <clears throat> uh, contrast here to our works. So we actually had a um, big debate on our pastoral team. We're like, how can you put this down in one sentence? So I think I said our main idea was uh, return to the gospel and... What was it? Return to the gospel so you can walk in the freedom of the Spirit. <clears throat> and we just said, if we just use the word gospel, people are going to assume what they mean. Like, you can use a term and just like, yeah, gospel, whatever. It doesn't, you, know, you, just, you know how you use a term it doesn't mean anything to you? So some of us were advocating, we need to say, return to the gospel of justification by faith alone. Or we need to return to the gospel of grace, which are good descriptors, but we just, you can tell who lost in this one. Um, we just kept it return to the gospel. But in that section, it's really important because he's describing what we mean by that. It's grace. In other words, the gospel is not what we do for God, our performance. It's what God does for us. And that's a big shift. It's a big shift. Um, so any of you know that know Martin Luther's history it was really this part of Galatians, and as he was studying the original languages, it was like he couldn't believe. It brought such a freedom for him. And he was a, a very faithful priest, had been to Rome, but he worked so hard and, and had so much guilt about how far he was from God. And to understand this scripture from the original languages as he was translating it, it just, it brought a freedom. It, it awakened his life. And he wanted the church to understand that. Um, if any of you read Pilgrim's Progress, John, John Bunyan, same thing for John Bunyan when he realized this. And I think it was actually reading uh, Luther's commentary on Galatians. So that's kind of the key section. All right. Chapter 3 <clears throat> through about halfway through chapter 5, pretty long. Uh, this one's really interesting. Here, here he says <clears throat> that the gospel was always the solution not the law. Um, so when you read this, it's a longer, longer section. I'm going to suggest something for you. He's going to bring up a bunch of stories from the Old Testament. They're all really in the book of Genesis. So just when you're reading it, uh, if you've got footnotes or something, but you can go back and find them. Where's this story? Go back and read the story because Paul is using that story to bring about a pretty incredible logic. Um, and one of the things is this. Oh, we, I asked this question in Sunday school. <clears throat> so I'll ask it again. Well, this is not rhetorical. Um, what Old Testament figure or character, who, who brings in the law? Moses does. Um, how do I ask the next question? So Moses brings in the law. When does the promise of the gospel come in? With the law or prior? This one's a little harder, but it's actually prior, and it's with Abraham and the promise. Oh, in our, in our December series, remember we went through Genesis 3.15 and Adam, and then the promise to Abraham. In this section, what he shows is, he actually uses this phrase, that God preached the gospel beforehand through Abraham. So follow this in the logic. God presents the promise of a Savior to come to Abraham. The law comes in later. And what he sh it's, it's wonderful reasoning, and I think it really helps us from a performance mindset to see the promise has always been here. So what's the purpose of the law? I won't tell you that part. But he describes that later. But this, this reasoning is what he's showing here is the gospel's always been the solution. You, you don't get made right with God by being good enough. Trying to, trying to work that out in your life, it'll be slavery for you. You'll, you know what? Because you'll never measure up. You will never be good enough. You can't be good enough for a holy God. You will try all your life. And here's the problem. If you think you are good enough, that's a greater deception. You have now become a Pharisee. And you remember the Pharisees in Jesus' day. 
But that's their whole approach to life. That's how they thought they were justified or reconciled before God. So he brings these stories out for a number, so that we'd have a deeper understanding of the gospel and it, where it will bear the fruit of joy and freedom in our lives. Friends, we all have a little bit of Pharisee in us. We all do. We all have this sense that if I do things for God, then he'll bless me. And that's how that happens. And it just isn't so. Here, here's what he says um, in the middle of the section, or beginning of the section, 3.3. He says, <clears throat> Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So there he's talking about just in your relationship with God. Your relationship with God actually grows as you follow the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not performance-based. And that's what I mean when I say about the Pharisee. We all have a little bit of performance based in us. That's not how God treats us. And I, I think we can say that and acknowledge it, but I think it's our default setting. So I believe these chapters will really help root some of that out of us. And then this next section, it will get us into, this is the implications, um, middle of five through six. This is the result. As, as we move through all that and understand it more deeply, what happens to us is what I would call free gospel living. And when there's free gospel living, that person, they walk by the Spirit and it's demonstrated by fulfilling Christ's law of love. This, this, this section here, um, that, it's a good indicator what, if I really understand it or not. So he'll talk about things in this section that are really, really important for us. But he's defining love in a whole different way. Freedom and love. Freedom. <clears throat> so freedom means being set free. But here's how we think of freedom. This is not a freedom for self that I can do whatever I want to do, anything. It's a freedom from self. And that's a really big difference. And when there's a freedom from self, there's a life of love and giving towards others. So I might use the word, you're, um, <clears throat> you're familiar with the phrase, a litmus test. You do this in, in biology or whatever, litmus test. To, it's a way of indicating whether the experiment was successful or whether the real thing's done. So we use this as a metaphor, a litmus test of whether I understand the gospel is if that kind of freedom comes out of me. And those chapters are going to describe it. It's going to describe, what I think, really what love is. Um, and he, <laughs> it's interesting, the phrase he used, because he calls it, um, Christ's law of love. This is the rule. Where he says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor is yourself. It's really a, um, I want to say it's a wonderful section, but it can be challenging because I think it's a place where we'll have some self-examination and self-reflection. But once again, I don't want to be a person who's assuming all my life, do I? There's some assumptions that are really bad. I could be on the wrong path. It could be dangerous and if I don't see it. And so this gospel will come in by, by, by taking away some of that performance base and showing us really what the gospel is. And we'll, we'll look at it to see, is this fruit being exhibited in my life or not? And again, friends, this is a work of the Holy Spirit as he speaks of it all the time. It's not my effort simply, but it's responding to the Holy Spirit I think it will bring us to a good place. Finally, he just ends, <clears throat> uh, I guess we call this the outcome of the gospel. He, the last uh, little passage is just kind of his, he comes back with some uh, summary and some warnings. Okay, let me, let me do this part uh, just quickly here. Uh, go to the, verses three to five in the introduction. Because I think he, he you'll see how he just introduces these themes. He says, Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Okay, so grace and peace. What, what's he saying in the beginning? This is the gospel of grace. When it comes into your life, it will bring a peace. He speaks of Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Consider the phrase, gave himself for. When people say that all religions are the same, Think simply of that kind of a phrase. You think of the cross. 
The cross is a place of public execution. It's a place of shame. That, that is what Jesus, as God's son, does for us, being sent to do that. That is not like any other religion. In fact, I know this is recorded, but um, I don't know if you understand this about Islam. The cross is offensive to Islam. Why? Because they see God as almighty, and that's it. He's almighty. He says he does whatever he wants. They get the sovereignty part down, the mighty, almighty part down. They don't get the mercy part down. They are, they are embarrassed by this. They are ashamed by this. It's, it's unfathomable that God would do that. And they're exactly right on that. It's unfathomable that he would do that. That's the mystery and beauty and wonder of Christianity. You cannot compare that to any other kind of religion. But understand this. This is where it shifts. So other religions, you're doing things for God. You've got to do all these steps for God to get in. That's not what Christianity is. You're surrendering to him who did it all. It doesn't make sense. You go like, that's too easy. See, that's the thing. Do you remember, do you remember the, uh, the three crosses? Three guys dying. Remember the other two guys were thieves? And you remember the one guy? The one guy right at the end. He says, Lord, when you enter paradise, would, would you remind me? And he says, today you'll see me in paradise. Okay, what's a guy understand theologically? I mean, it's, it's right at the end. You can't do that at the end. That's not fair. I've been trying to follow God all my life. Since I was a little kid, you can't do that in the end. You can't just believe right at the end. Why not? Jesus tells a parable about that. That's a, that guy surrenders. and Ah, no fair, you're dying anyway. What is that when we think such things? Is that not the Pharisee that says, God owes me because I've done X, Y, Z, what a life. This is the mercy of God that we should just wonder at. It's that glorious. Why would we withhold that from anyone? Why do we think, you haven't done enough to get in? That's Pharisee, that's not Jesus. That's the gospel. There's no one that's too far from his kingdom. And I, I love that, that wonderful story that, that's, I forget which gospel it is right now, but it's right there. There's a free, he gave himself for our sins. We have a self-sacrificing God. And he says it there in that phrase, <clears throat> it's to deliver us from this evil age. To deliver means freedom. It also means that we were enslaved. So when you hear the word saved, some of you hear, ah, I got saved, or what did I use that phrase? I, let me give you a synonymous term. Think rescued. I got rescued. Because that's what he's saying. Most people don't think of Christianity as freeing and rescued. That's exactly what it is. So again, the call here is to return to the gospel so you can walk in the freedom of the Spirit. Come on back. Come on back. Come back. Because I want you to walk in the freedom of the Spirit, which he unpacks in the end. So this is what he's aiming at. Sometimes we call this a transformational intent. There's all, when a book's written, a letter's written, a story is told, it's because there's a change in us, a change in the church that's desired. Here it is. That we would walk by the Holy Spirit, which is evidenced by loving one another. It's evidenced that way, the way in which we do. Now, in chapters 5 and 6, love is not vague. He's going to describe real issues of self-sacrificing love. He's going to be very honest about our struggle with the flesh. Let me just pause for a second. <clears throat> Have not the last two years taught us that? You think of how, how the polarizing of people, the, the camps that have been drawn, the lack of loving someone that does not agree with me, that could be inside the church or outside the church. It's, it's, we've been affected both ways. There is a real, so there's an honesty here about our struggle with the flesh, yet there's a, there's a hopefulness about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me say this again. Get to the end. So he's wanting us to, to walk by the Spirit, evidenced by a love for one another. There's an honesty about our struggle with the flesh and a hopefulness about being filled with the Spirit. There it is. So let me conclude this way. <clears throat> I think there's great relevance for us. What kind of freedom does understanding the gospel bring to you? 
the gospel of grace? What kind of freedom what that, would that look like in your life and in your relationships? Or where might it be that you drift from the gospel of grace? In your marriage? Uh, disagreements with someone in the church, brother or sister? Maybe disagreement with a neighbor, someone who does not share our worldview. How would the gospel of grace affect me in terms of showing love for my neighbor? Or how about this one? How does the gospel of grace affect you in terms of how you interact, mind and heart, with the news media? I think it was our Friday uh, reading in 21 days. It talked um, about the prince of the power of the air. And I'll just think about that in terms of news media and and the evil one who desires fear, control, anxiety, anything that would distract us from Jesus. How does the gospel of grace affect all those parts for you? I look forward to walking through that together in the weeks ahead. Let's pray. Tell you what, let's pray. I'm going to let it be silent for just a minute, so maybe you can just kind of interact with the Lord. Let the worship team come up. You can just interact with the Lord about those questions, and then I'll pray. Lord, I'm not sure we understand what assumptions we have about the gospel. I'm not sure if we understand clearly what we think we know and we don't know well. But I thank you that your Holy Spirit works in your people. You truly awaken us to things we didn't understand. And I pray, Lord, that in these weeks together, we would have a growing, deeping understanding of the gospel of grace, and it would come out in a way that demonstrates the fruit of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus himself, and that it might be true that your grace and your peace would be evident more in the life of your people. May it be so, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.